Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, we are especially glad that you were able to be with us tonight. If you would be opening your Bibles to Mark, the very beginning of Mark on your pew Bible there, it will be at about 881 or 82, and we will be looking at several passages out of uh, the first portion of the book of Mark tonight as we consider Jesus the servant. Uh, we are thankful that Betsy Frizzell is with us tonight. Betsy, where are you? Give a big wave there. Uh, the elders have asked me to introduce to you uh, Betsy. Betsy is going to be working with our young ladies this coming summer. Uh, they are excited about the interview that they have uh, had with her. They're excited about her being here. Uh, she comes from a tremendous family. She has already done much good in her life already, and we're thankful that she's going to be here. You would probably remember a few summers ago, Andy Frizzell was a tremendous uh, intern for us one summer, and that's her older brother. He is in Cookville in youth ministry right now. Her father has been a minister at Creve Hall for over 20 years and has worked in youth ministry there. And we are thankful that she is here and be working with our young ladies this coming summer. We're thankful to have our youth back from CYC, a tremendous weekend in Gatlinburg. We're thankful for their safe trip. We're thankful for their willingness to go and to invest their life and their time in such a good activity. It's wonderful to be here on Sunday afternoons during February to see our younger uh, students as they are training and the young ladies and the young soldiers serving Christ and to walk through the building and to see those individuals working to learn how to better serve God. They're doing it now and they're planning to do it for the future. And what a blessing that is for the church today and what a blessing it is for the church tomorrow. Uh, do keep in mind, as Andrew has already mentioned, the teacher's workshop. That is a tremendous Saturday morning. Uh, Andrew has put together a tremendous, tremendous morning for us. Let's make sure that we take full advantage of that. Also, I want to invite you to a fundraising dinner held for the Western Christian College and High School in Regina, Canada. Uh, there are only 36 full-time ministers in all of Canada, and half of those ministers have gone to school in that small school there. Uh, Canada is a mission field, a vast mission field. If you have a heart for mission work and or a heart for Christian education, uh, this will be Tuesday, just two days from now, 6.30, Hermitage House Smorgasbord. You can come as a guest and uh, the meal will be provided and you'll have the opportunity to learn. And if you want to, to give to a tremendous work that's furthering the cause of the kingdom and uh, the north of us. And so if, if you have a desire to do that, let me know. And if you can't let me know, but last minute you can, uh, go ahead and come over at 6.30. It's usually concluded by about 9.30. Uh, what a blessing it is. God gives us so many opportunities. As already been prayed about tonight, let's make sure that we take advantage of the opportunities to be a part of the work of the Lord here in this place. The Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do they mean to you? If they didn't exist, would you miss them? Would it change your life if the story told there had never been told? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do those books mean to you? 
for several weeks now, those that have been going through the daily Bible readings have been reading through Matthew, and now this past week we have entered into Mark. One has said that the Gospels, every page before them is anticipatory, and every page after them is explanatory. You see, everything the prophets spoke of pointed toward Christ, the story of the Gospels. Once the story of Jesus is told, His disciples would be a part of His church, and everything after that would point back to the fact that He lives and that He's our King, and that He is our Lord. Friends, as we consider tonight just a few passages out of the great study of Mark, I invite you to think, as JP mentioned, I believe in the early service this morning, what would Jesus do? It is so important to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? But you see, that implies something that I think too often we take for granted. The only way I can answer the question, what would Jesus do, is to first know what Jesus would do. Why should we study the Gospels? If Jesus is to be our master and we are to be his disciple, which means we're a student not only of what he taught, but we are a student of him. That's what a disciple is, a student of the teachings and the teacher. If you and I are going to be disciples of Jesus, we must know Jesus. As we also think about the tremendous opportunity that we have to use our life in His service, to be a part of His kingdom, I want you to think back to a passage that we looked at last week and we're simply using it for a launching pad. So I don't want you to tune out and say, oh, I've studied this one. Hold your finger here in, first Peter, in, in uh, Mark and let's go over to 1 Peter for just a moment. And I want to remind you of a passage in 1 Peter 4 and 10. In 1 Peter 4 and 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter made it very clear, everyone has received a gift. You see, we can't boast about it. We can't say, look, I'm so much better than you, or you're so much better than others, because it's simply a gift. God is placing our service. We don't boast about it, but instead we say, Lord, I'll use it. But how does the Lord want us to use it? Here he says, I want you to use it ministering or serving one another. And then he says, I want you to be responsible with it because I'm going to hold you as a steward. In other words, God cares how we use the gift. If we misuse it, we're held responsible for that. God cares whether or not we use that gift or gifts to minister to other folks. And they're going to be different gifts. It's the manifold grace of God. In other words, God's going to give a multiplicity and a diversity of gifts to various individuals. Now, as we think about this and we think, I want to be like Jesus, what would that imply? Well, of course, that would imply that Jesus came to this earth with gifts also. And Jesus used his gifts to serve others. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I need to recognize my gifts. I need to recognize the purpose of my gifts. I need to use those gifts to serve others. And in so doing, I then can begin at least to answer the question on a daily basis, what would Jesus do? The book of Mark is a beautiful read. As a matter of fact, it's probably more appropriate for our society today because you know what our society likes. We like something that's fast. We like something that moves right on. We like TV shows that pop from one scene to another. If a camera stays too long on one angle, we begin to get bored with it. 
That's why people today probably would love the book of Mark. It doesn't take him but 14 verses to get through the first year of Jesus' ministry. By the time you get to verse 15, you're already in the second year of Jesus' ministry. That's why so oftentimes he uses the word immediately, straightforward. In other words, Mark, even in his style and choice of writing, says, we're moving on. We're going to talk about the next thing. This evening, let's think about this great servant. Matthew emphasized Jesus as a king. Luke emphasized Jesus as a man. John emphasized Jesus as the Son of God. Mark, he emphasized Jesus as a servant. Let's see how this man, Jesus, used all of the gifts to serve others and see if, in fact, we are like Jesus. As we consider this, I'd like for you to notice this acrostic here as we think about these gifts. G-I-F-T-S. Gifts. Every one of us has been given at least one gift, and I'm sure many, many here, a multiplicity of gifts. Everyone here has influence. God has simply created us that way. Either good or negative, we all have influence upon others. We all have possessions. We all have finances. We have goods that have been placed in our life and in our hands. And the question is, how did Jesus use those and how would He expect us to use those? We all have time. It's a limited amount of time. Our days are numbered. It's appointed and the man wants to die. But the question that I need to ask myself is how did Jesus use His time and how would Jesus expect me as a disciple to use my time on this earth? And then finally, service. Jesus' life was all about service. Is my life all about serving others? Now, we're probably going to have a reference on these next few slides of more passages than what we can read. But I would like for us to at least touch on a few of these passages off of each slide. As keep in mind, what we're trying to do is look in the beginning of the book of Mark and say, how did Jesus use his gifts, his influence, his finances, his time, and his service? And when I better learn how Jesus did that, I should better know how to live my life after I leave here tonight. Look with me, if you will. <clears throat> in the very first chapter, in verse 14, we get a glimpse of one of the many gifts that Jesus had. In chapter 1, in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. No doubt Jesus was the greatest preacher and teacher that ever lived. He had a tremendous gift of preaching and teaching. But notice his gift there was that he wanted to preach the kingdom of God. That's what he was going to lift up. In other words, he was going to use his gift. And we're going to come back and emphasize this over and over tonight. He was going to use his gift to esteem the kingdom. Now, your gift may not be teaching and preaching. But whatever your gift is, we all need to stop and ask ourselves, are we using that gift to lift up the kingdom, to grow the kingdom, to magnify the kingdom, to let our Christian light so shine? How do you let a Christian light shine? By using our gifts that God has given us to magnify the kingdom. As we drop down to verse 22, we see when he was casting out 
uh, unclean spirits here in this paragraph. And they were astonished at his teachings. For he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. You see, he spoke words of authority. Today, you and I can use our gift in an authoritative way if we use it under the submission of God and Christ being our master. We too then are acting by authority, the authority of God, when we submit in our usage of gifts to the Lord. There were many other gifts that he had, and this is not to even pretend that this is a complete list, but I'd like for you to scan with me in verse 27. Notice there that he was casting out unclean spirits, and they were all amazed, and and they wanted to know how he, at the end, commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. When you look down to the very next paragraph, 29 through 31, he had the gift of healing as he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And when we look even further in 32 through 34, Here is where he entered in at the evening. The sun is set and they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. We see here in just these first few paragraphs of Mark, a quick moving story of how Jesus used his gift of preaching, of teaching, of casting out unclean spirits and demons, and of healing all kinds of diseases. Notice how all of this is for the benefit of others. We don't see him using his gifts here to say, hey, look at me. But it was to magnify the kingdom. Whatever our gifts are, let's make sure that we're using them to magnify the kingdom. Now, before we leave this of gifts, I'd like for you to think about priority. Several weeks ago, if I remember correctly, Andrew mentioned this paragraph, maybe perhaps in a different gospel. But this is a powerful, powerful teaching here about how important it is to remember the purpose of our gifts because then that helps us to know better how to use our gifts. Does that make sense? When we know the purpose of our gifts, then we know better how to use our gifts. In other words, was there ever a time where Jesus would say, right now I'm going to not use this gift any longer here because it's more important that I go somewhere else and use this gift? Have you ever noticed that sometimes the hardest decisions in life is not the decision of, hey, is this right or wrong? What I find is that many times the hardest decisions are, is this better than this that is good? Notice what Jesus dealt with here. We've just laid the the groundwork for this paragraph, 32, 33, and 34, what we just looked at. Uh, That evening, people gathered around. You can imagine if someone could heal, and and that's all taking place at night, what are people going to do when they go back to their homes? I want you to just imagine right now in your mind two or three people that you know. Please do this exercise with me. Two or three people that you know that are severely handicapped or they have some kind of uh, disease that, that they've had for years or either it's terminal. Now I want you to imagine those two or three people come to Jesus that evening. Maybe they're being carried. Maybe someone has, has transported them there and Jesus heals them. Well, what's going to happen when they go home that night? They're going to go to all of their neighbors. It doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night. And they're going to tell their neighbors, look, look, there's this man named Jesus. Look what he's done for me. So what's going to happen the next morning? 
The next morning, you assume the crowd would be even much larger with even more people that need healing and other people that want to see that kind of healing. And notice what happens now in 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Peter probably exaggerated right there, but he probably felt that way. Can you imagine how those followers, those closest disciples of Jesus had probably been asked literally a hundred times, if not several hundred times that morning, where's that man Jesus? Where's that man Jesus? I brought my mother over here. I brought my little son here. I brought my infant daughter here. I brought my neighbor that I've had to wait on all these years and and now he can be healed. Where is that man Jesus? We've walked half the night. We've looked forward to this. We thought we would be here when he got up. Where is Jesus? What would your level of anxiety be? What would your anticipation be if you thought that there was one there that could truly heal because you'd seen proof of it from the night before? Can you imagine those people I want you now to picture. The scripture doesn't tell us. I'm just trying to paint a picture. I want you to picture the mother that's holding her little four-year-old that has had some kind of ailment since he was born. I want you to picture the the middle-aged man that loves his father dearly and and he knows his father's going to die unless there could be some kind of help and, and he's brought this man to Jesus. And then let's read 38. And he said to them, Let us go into the next town that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now what was he preaching? We read back early in 14, he was preaching the kingdom of God. What was his purpose? His purpose was not to come to this earth to hang a shingle out in one particular town and become the miracle worker. You can travel for miles around and every morning when he opens his shutters, there's a line outside waiting to be healed. He could have stayed in one location all of his life and he could have a line every morning. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was not for physical healing. His purpose was much greater than that. His purpose was for spiritual healing. I want to tell you there's many things about the strength and the focus of Jesus I don't understand. And I want to tell you one of the things I don't understand, but I appreciate I don't doubt it for a moment, but I don't understand how you can look a mama in her eyes as she's holding her baby and say, I didn't come to heal your baby. I've come to preach. There's something far more important than the health of your baby. It's the spiritual well-being of the world. I didn't come to give your daddy a few extra years on this earth. I've come to grow a kingdom that's far more important than possessions or physical health. Friends, I need to hear that. Because I live in a world that's temporal, but I can see it. 
And it's so easy for us to get so wrapped up in everything physical. It's so easy for us to get wrapped up in everything we can touch. It's so easy to get wrapped up in, in owning bigger and, and having and becoming stronger. And it's a good reminder to hear Jesus say, now let's use our life. Let's use our gifts. Let's use everything God has given us to promote the kingdom. You see, He healed when it promoted the kingdom. He didn't heal because He wanted to be a physical doctor. Let's look at influence. As we think about influence, the greatest influence that Jesus wanted was he wanted the approval of his father. If you notice back there in the first chapter in verse 11, this is just as Jesus was being baptized by John, the silence of heaven was broken. A voice came from heaven says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As we think about influence, we read just a few paragraphs down beginning at verse 16 when he went to Andrew and and Peter, and then he went to James and John, and they were out there with their fathers and with their crews out in the fishing boat, mending the nets. And notice the influence. Could you get men to leave their careers? Could you get men to walk away from the family business? Friends, all of us have influence, and it's amazing to think of the influence of Jesus. I say, I want to be like Jesus. Do you and I have the influence to move people from something good to something better? Do we have the influence to move somebody from the world to become a Christian? I'm not saying that any of us can or even should strive to do anything miraculous. I'm just talking about our life. What kind of life do we live? Do we influence people in reverse? Do we take and associate with good Christian people and the next thing we know, they're becoming more like the world because now they're our friend? Jesus always moved people in a direction toward godliness. When we think of the 12 apostles, and that should be over in the third chapter in verse 16 through 20, he was able to move 12 men to give their life to full-time service for God. All Christians are in being full-time service in that they're Christians 24-7. But these individuals were willing to leave their careers. They were willing to leave their their families for trips and missionary work and, and things of that nature. But notice in the second chapter and in verse 12 how this is just one example of what we see over and over. When this paralytic was healed in the second chapter, this is how it closes in verse 12. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed. Now notice this. And glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. When Jesus used his influence, people glorified God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They're going to see your gifts in action. They're going to see you and be influenced by you. And notice he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Friends, if I'm using my life and my gifts even if I'm using them in my mind under the name of Christ, if I'm the one getting all the glory, I'm misusing my gifts. If I'm hoarding the boasting, I'm misusing my gifts. You and I must figure out how to use our gifts in a way that God receives the glory. Or it's a misuse of it. I love when Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 16. 
And, and of course, we know that one of Paul's great gifts was that of preaching. And so this could be said of, of any Christian that's using a gift, but Paul simply refers to his gift of preaching. And he says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Do you hear the great apostle Paul, what he was saying? He says, don't boast about me. I'm just using a gift that God gave me. The big question would be, what if I didn't use the gift God gave me? He said, that's when we ought to be talking about me. But he said, if I'm going to use the gift, glory be to God. What's your gift? Are you using your gift in such a way that your influence, the way you're using your gift is giving an influence to God and not to yourself, not to others? Let's think about our finances for just a moment as the Lord spoke also about this in his life. Go back in your mind or either glance down in the first chapter. You remember verse 16, that paragraph there we've already referred to when when Peter and Andrew and James and John were called to follow him, they left their their father's business. Now, the Lord never requires every Christian to leave their businesses. That shouldn't be implied here. That's not being implied here from me. It's not implied in the scriptures. But this is the teaching here for these four apostles. They left the family business. Now, here's the question. Would you say that was a good move? How many of us would look at that and say, ooh, boy, they made a mistake. That, that was a very uh, stable, a secure life there. They, they probably had a good business built up. They left the hired hands behind. They already had their boats, their nets. They should have thought twice before they did that. What is the greatest worth in life? That's what we need to stop and ask ourselves when we think about finances. Is that really more important than spiritual things? No. Finances are simply to be a tool to be used to magnify the kingdom. How did Jesus use his gifts? To magnify the kingdom. How did he use his influence? To magnify the kingdom. How should we perceive and use our finances to magnify the kingdom? Someone says, well, I give X percent of my income. That's great. That's a part of magnifying the kingdom. But what do you do with the other percent that you keep? Do you use it in a way that is still a way that can magnify the kingdom? Something's wrong with the fella or the lady that will give a portion to the Lord on Sunday and then turn around and use their money in a way that is against the kingdom. Friends, we may give a percentage back to God in a plate on Sunday, but the truth is the rest that we're keeping in our hands, if we are a disciple of Jesus, still belongs to Him. And we are stewards of how we use that that is left. Notice, if you will, go to the fourth chapter. In Mark, the fourth chapter, we have a parable here that's a tremendous parable. And this is the parable of the four soils. For Simon's sake, let me immediately go to the one where the seed was planted in the thorny ground. Look at verse 7. The the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. So, in other words, there, there, there was ability, there was gifts. The Word of God had the ability to grow there, but it couldn't because something was being misused. And here's the heart that's being misused. Verse 8, and other seed fell on the good ground and yielded crop, etc. Now let's skip down and see a description of this parable in verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the Word. Now notice these three things. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in 
choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. I would say most of us here have probably seen ground that was very fertile. It could grow things. It could grow a vegetable. It could grow a little fruit tree, but it also could grow thorns because no one was making sure that there was a weeding process taking place. And you see, if you have a heart that's capable of growing the Word of God, we need to be humble to also admit it's probably capable of growing things also that would grow against the Word of God. Riches is one of those things that can be deceiving. Satan can convince us that a love for riches can grow in the same heart as a love for God, and it can't. No man can serve two masters. And so therefore, the challenge is to be able to say, I want to take these things wherever my life is in this world that I live in, whatever level of riches that I have, and whatever things that Lord has placed in my hand, I want to take these and I want to use them as tools tools in the Lord's kingdom because I want to magnify the kingdom. Let's consider time for just a moment as we're running out of time. Notice he lived on God's timetable. He did all things according to verse 15 there when the time is fulfilled. In other words, he waited and acted on the Father's timetable. That's a challenge for us. And if you can remember the last time that you had to wait on the Lord, That's one of the hardest things to do is to wait on the Lord, whether it's for him to open a door, if it's for an opportunity for him uh, to to bring uh, healing and comfort into our life, whatever it is, it's hard to wait on the Lord. But Jesus did, and here he was using his life as service, and he waited on the Lord, but he also multiplied his time. You see there in the third chapter, what we've already referred to there, beginning of verse 13 and going down to the 19, he chose 12 apostles. Have you ever thought about it this way? He was choosing men that he knew would carry on his ministry after he died. He was literally multiplying his time, if you will. He knew that he only had about another year and a half to two years on this earth at the time that he's training these 12 apostles. But he's training them to prepare them for the time that he's gone. If you believe that the cause of the kingdom is the most important cause on earth, you also probably believe that it ought to thrive and do well beyond your lifetime. Now, if you believe that, what are you doing to make sure that it goes beyond your lifetime? Every time you and I invest our heart, our prayers, our nurturing in the life of another, if they outlive us, we're investing in the future. Especially by, in principle, when, when those of you that are investing in the young soldiers and the young ladies this afternoon, you were multiplying your time because probably when, when you and I have deceased, they will be serving the Lord and they will be growing the kingdom. I think about the individuals in my life that when I was a young man encouraged me to preach. And... Uh, I think about Daniel and Chad's grandfather and the books that I have right now in in my library of notes that he wrote on the inside cover saying to me that I would be a great preacher if I decided to one day. Friends, who have you invested in? Who have you wrote a note to? Oh, what I would give right now if my grandmother Armstrong, who when she was a young lady, she prayed for God to give her a son. And and if he would, that she would raise him to become a preacher. She had daughters. And when I became a preacher, she said, God answered my prayer one generation later than what I expected. But then shortly after that, she died. Oh, I would love to see her today. 
and to be able to talk with her about her dream and about her love for the kingdom and about her desire to influence and grow the kingdom. I'm not suggesting that you and I ought to encourage everyone to be a preacher. That's not the point. Every young person around us, God has given them a gift. Who's going to be the ones that step up and encourage them in their gift? Not try to point them into something that God hasn't given them the gift, but to love them enough to find their gift and to encourage them to use that gift to further the kingdom. Who's going to come up to the man and woman that's a newborn babe in Christ? They may be in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, but yet they're a babe in Christ. Who's going to believe in them? Who's going to help them find their place? When we do this, we're investing time, if you will, into the furtherance of the kingdom, even beyond our life. But finally, let's mention the service. We're out of time, so let's just look at one verse. If you would, flip over to Mark the 10th chapter as we consider service, and we'll close with this, and I'm sorry for going long. Mark the 10th chapter, look at verse 45. Uh, this begins earlier in the chapter with talking about who's the greatest and that the Gentiles tried the Lord exercise over. And this is the way Jesus sums up his reason for coming to this earth. Mark the 10th chapter, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Out of all the ways Jesus could have described his purpose for coming to this earth, he says, I can put it in this simple. I've just come to serve. Why'd you die on the cross, Jesus? I've come to serve. Why'd you wash feet, Jesus? I've come to serve. Why did you preach? I've come to serve. Why did you heal? I've come to serve. Friends, you can't hardly describe anything about the life of Jesus without being able to describe that by saying, He came to serve. Does that describe your life? Lord, I'm yours, and I'm here to serve mankind. How do you use the gifts that God has given you? How do you use the influence that God has given you? How do you use the finances that God has given you? How do you use the time that God has given you? How do you use the service that God's given you the opportunity to be a part of? Collectively, let's be organized and give our best for the efficiency of the kingdom. Individually, let's have our eyes opened every day to see how we can use our gifts and influence and finances and times to serve others tonight, if you're not a servant of the Lord because He's your master and you've submitted to Him, repenting of sins, confessing for men, being baptized for the remission of sins, won't you do that tonight? If you have done that, but somewhere along the way, you've stopped using your life as a servant and you want to come back to Him tonight, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.